Welcome to No BS Engineering, the podcast for developers around the world who care about their careers. Join us as we share ideas, war stories, and talk with special guests about how developers can up their game and move their career forward. Welcome to another episode of No BS Engineering. My name is Cal Evans and my co-host is Mario Peshev. And we're so glad that you've spent some time with us today. Mario's over there waving. Uh, so, so glad you've chosen to spend some time with us today. This is our 2020 wrap-up. 2021 prognostication episode. Every podcast has to do one. We are legally obligated to do this, so we're going to do this, and we're going to have some fun doing it. Um, this will be released in three separate episodes. So if you don't get it all the first time, that's fine. You can pick up a little bit. Um, you can pick up some of it later. Mario, say hi to everybody. Hey everyone, good to see you, and really happy to do this wrap up episode for 2020. Very much looking forward to 2021. I believe a lot of people are. And definitely can't wait to see what January is going to bring back to us. And Cal and I are going to come up with some predictions just for you and a recap of uh, what we had to face during 2020. Absolutely. So get your pens and paper out because this the, the advice that you're going to go in this podcast will dramatically affect your career prospects for the next year to come. So <laughs> It's like the alternative of the secret. <laughs> uh. Um, okay, Mario, you you um you you run a business and a very successful business. Um, so and I'm uh, I'm just a developer, but I've been working from home. I'm kind of the outlier because I've been working from home most of my career. Um, I've been developing software for 36 years, and probably 20 of that I've worked um, remotely. Let's say work remotely because it's not always not always sitting here in my house. Hmm. Um, but that's new to a lot of developers and COVID kind of threw a lot of businesses into this, whether they wanted to or not. And a lot of developers into this. And I've always said every developer ought to have the opportunity to work remote, but it's not for everybody. So they should not be required to. Hmm. Lang, that, that's to, um, all that's to lay the groundwork for. Um, tell us about the experiences that um, your company's gone through and the, the, both the wins and, and, the, and the losses, the goods and the bads of um, an entire company having to work remote. Yeah, um, 2020 has definitely taught us a lot of lessons. Um, to be fair, we've gone through remote work as a roller coaster over the past 10 years. Uh, we've actually been, kind of our, the company has been founded as a remote first company like 11 years ago. So this was how we started. Uh, at some point, we had, you know, two or three different locations just with small teams working together as kind of small hubs. Um, we didn't used to have a real office up until like four or five years ago. Uh, but lately, especially over the past maybe three to four years, we've been almost entirely situated at our office space. So we kind of made an interesting transition from remote to distribute to kind of on-site located in a single headquarters, right? Uh, at the same time, in terms of my career, I've gone through all those phases myself. Of course, my very first jobs were on-site. However, I did have some freelancing contracts and stuff which were completely remote. At some point, I had some telecommuting, like even 12 years ago, which was extremely rare back then. Um, then I had a complete you know, remote working lifestyle, and I had two full-time remote jobs. One of them were, was kind of okay. One of them was horrendous because the core team was based elsewhere. 
Uh, and then again, eventually, like I said, the past four or five years, I had to get back to the office culture, which was an extremely weird transition. And then 2020 came in and said, look, guys, you're going to be predominantly remote, right? Um, so having said that, I have a lot of experience in different contexts being both um, remote, telecommuting, partially remote, and on-site. And depending on where I sit, depending on what type, what type of projects we're working on, I do have different feelings when it comes to remote work. The very, very, very first thing that we learned uh, when switching from uh, on-site to remote is that it costs a lot of money. Uh, especially especially when you work with people. So there, there are, 2020 learned, uh, 2020 taught us several things about remote. Some of them we knew, some of them we didn't or we haven't really considered, uh, but it was very instrumental in us understanding several different things. First off, the type of remote we had during 2020 was very different from how remote works operates usually. Um, I have recognized that myself in March, um, April, May, I've been spending an unhealthy amount of time reading news websites and prognosis and reading the charts of the COVID trends of daily cases and doing weekly projections and stuff like that, which is crazy because it's something unknown. In a regular remote working environment, what I used to do is just hit up a coffee shop, you know, order a latte, spend some time there, go out for a quick walk, then sit down in the park, coat for another couple of hours, get back in, grab a water, maybe grab some lunch with someone. And none of this was possible during lockdown. And all of the, all of the fear and uncertainty and everything else coming up from you don't know if you can meet people and you're worried about your significant other and your closest people and all that, um, this has brought a lot of burden to all of us in terms of how we perceive remote work. So this is on, on the one hand. Second thing is um, inexperienced people and juniors. Back when I used to work in remote companies, we didn't have juniors because training juniors, and that's something I've actually explained multiple times, it usually takes three to five times longer than training a junior in-house. So if you need, let's say, a, approximately four months to bring a junior to a level that at least can operate as a part of a team for simple things, Normally, you would need a year to a year and a half, roughly, to bring them up to speed in a remote company. So this has turned out to be a major problem for uh, recent uh, on-site hires in junior positions that we had to work with. And the third one was just simply people who had no experience working remotely. Uh, again, people who had no desk spaces set up at home, uh, people with uh, renting spaces that weren't suited for working from there, you know, just um, a one-bedroom apartment with two other people or something like that. It's definitely the worst possible place. I saw some photos from really capable de developers literally um, uh, working from the, the diner's table or from their bar near their fridge or something like that because their place wasn't suited to be a, a, a working spot. Um, so with all that in mind, the, the first few months of the pandemic were pretty horrendous. With time, you know, we had some time back at the office for the most part, and then another lockdown again. But right now, things are a lot better because more people are prepared, people are less frightened, and uh, again, we do have a decent mix of people who still hang out at the office and people who are, uh, you know, predominantly remote. You're, you're muted. I certainly am. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I had not 
considered that. Again, I'm an outlier. I've been doing this so long that even when I'm not working remote, my office is set up so that I could at a moment's notice just drop my laptop in and go. So uh, I had not considered the fact that not everybody has a spare room in their house to 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 do it and you're right um you know if you've got a bad working environment like a, a one-bedroom apartment that you're sharing with people you know no no good no amount of headphones is going to solve that problem you know oh, yeah. um a lot of times i can put my headphones on and work out of a coffee shop or something like that and that's the other thing with covid and everything being closed down you're you're pretty much stuck in this one place, and yeah, I find myself even going kind of stir crazy right now because uh, I'm used to going to conferences and events like that, and being out, and that's my socialization, and that gets me through the times when I'm at my desk, you know, three four weeks at a time, and we've not had that, and so yeah, uh, even I'm going a little stir crazy now, and I, I can't imagine what people who don't like doing this or going through, you know, because, you know, it is, it, it's not for everybody. Training juniors brings up um, an interesting uh, question for me <clears throat> because I was looking at our topics, uh, our list of topics that uh, we're, we're going to get to um, next year. Um, and one of them is about hiring. Um, how do you, how do you hire in the age of COVID? Because obviously if you're training juniors, you're, you've hired juniors. So you've got to put thought into all that. What's your process or how's your process changed um, since the lockdowns have started? So the the very first thing is we no longer hire juniors as actively as we used to before. Uh, for the very same reason, again, just uh, considering the fact that most likely they would have to be remote for the most part, yeah. uh, it's going to be a significant walker. On the other hand, we did hire two juniors maybe a month or two ago. Um, very promising ones. They're doing really well so far, and um, but but they are attending the office and they are coming day in day day out and just you know have to to live with this as the norm. So that definitely changes things significantly. Of course, they do have some you know remote days or something like that, but it's more like one day every two weeks or so, and not really the norm, which yeah. definitely changes uh, changes things up. Uh, just to bring some context for uh, those of you who are in a pretty messed up lockdown situation right now, uh, what we have here at the moment is restaurants, bars, uh, movie saloons, um, shopping malls, gyms, everything else is closed. Office spaces and factories and stuff are still open and most companies, again, opting for deciding on whether they have to be on-site or remote. And we do have about a third of our staff at the office and the other two-thirds uh, primarily working remote. Uh, so this is kind of the context. So with juniors, that's how it works. Now, the other thing is we used to work with universities and other kind of training centers or academies or whatever you want to call them, um, looking for junior talent previously. It was predominantly hit or miss, but uh, thanks to the recession, so to speak, there were a lot of people who recently graduated uh, and you know a, a large cohort of people who are on the market and nobody's hiring juniors right now. So this was the reason why we hired a couple of people. It was a good opportunity. We managed to connect with the top tier, you know, with the echelon of um, trainees who simply, you know, could not find a place right now because nobody's hiring juniors. So at the same time, you know, the, the selection pool was uh, richer, uh, more enriched with uh, higher quality talent and more motivated people, which also incentivizes us to, to bring a couple of people on board. 
Now, when you interview these, is, is the interview process entirely virtual these days, or did you actually bring them into the office and um, and interview them physically? Uh, it depends. Uh, so first off, we do have a phone screening. It's about say fifteen to twenty minutes, just discussing yeah. what the job is like and like making sure there are they are the same person in the first place. Um, in terms of the actual interview, again, it depends. Some of them were conducted via Zoom or Google Meet. Some of them were on site, depending on wherever someone was uh, located at the moment and how tough was the situation. Like at some point, we banned all on site interviews just to keep ourselves safe at the yeah. office, you know, not really interacting with other people. Um, but again, for some of them, we actually conducted them um, on site. But at the same time, we don't tend to go through all those, you know, whiteboard interviews. It's more about mentality and mindset and portfolio. And, you know, this doesn't really put the requirement to have someone sitting in a room right next to you just uh, doing a coding challenge alongside with you, right? So this definitely facilitated the process big time. Knowing is cool. Sharing knowledge is even cooler. In my book, Uncle Cal's Career Advice for Developers, I share with you five of the most important pieces of career advice I've learned. Get your copy today by pointing a browser at bit.ly slash Uncle Cal. I want to share this knowledge with you. Very cool, very cool. Um, I've been on a couple interviews in the past year and everything these days has gone remote, at least um, over here in the States. Uh, you know, they're not only are the jobs remotes, but uh, the, the interview process, everything. You know, I was used to everything being remote, especially if the company, if I'm going to be working remote, you know, I was used to everything being remote except the last interview. And, you know, then they always bring you in and uh, you get to meet the people in person, that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, similar to what you said, just a last, last sanity check to make sure this person's going to fit. Uh, but even that now has gone remote, which, I find interesting because I find that the companies are spending a lot more time. Uh, the, the interviews process is longer. The interviews themselves are longer because since they're not going to get that um, in-person interview, they spend a lot more time digging in and, and making sure that they're going to be a, doing what they can to make sure this person is going to be a, a good fit. Mm. So um, good companies, I think, are thriving. Like you guys are, are, are doing good. You know, I, I've seen some companies that did not adjust well to this and um you know and they they really struggled and I, I was sad to see that um because i've been preaching work from home for years and if you had a work from home program already in place then you had the policies in place even if you didn't have full-time people you knew what to do and um, the companies that got caught off guard were the ones that know we can't do remote work you know everybody's got to be in the office all the time and it turns out they don't. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. uh, I was glad to see that. Uh, I, I know a lot of companies that their entire process is based on, you know, checking in and out with an RFID card. And that's kind of a, their login system to pretty much everything. And then they're having intranet VPNs at the office that you can access in order to access internal servers. And then everything else is uh, only accessible through the office IP and stuff like that. They really struggled quite a lot with remote work. That definitely was a blocker for them. Yeah. Uh, we did have some head start. That, that that's a fact. 
I would say, if I have to sum it up, there are three things that really made it very challenging for us to, to make it happen. Um, the, the first thing is really the lack of preparedness for lots of people just uh, uh, lacking the actual working space on their yeah. end. Like we actually allowed people to bring, you know, office equipment home, but that mm -hmm. doesn't mean they have the, the space to, you know, put in two different monitors and then, you know, other gadgets and widgets and everything else they needed, nor they would have the, the silence and solitude required to conduct a decent phone call if they have two toddlers running around, right? Because this was, especially closing schools and nurseries was one of the major blockers and half of the people remote right now would actually get back to the office, but schools are closed, so happy new year, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of one of the, the biggest impacts that we had. The second thing is we are a service company and as a service company, we do actually, uh, you know, do a lot of support and kind of real time stuff, right? You know, dealing with outages, dealing with third party services going down, dealing with, you know, last minute campaigns and so forth. So reaction time is paramount. And if you're a product company, especially a large enterprise grade product company, nobody gives a damn because, you know, it takes... Every sprint is three months, and like even if you're literally brain dead for a week, nobody would even recognize that, right? Yeah. But whenever there is a major outage for a third-party service that you know you have to reconnect to something else, every mm -hmm. minute costs you know tens of thousands of people, at, you know, visiting this website at the moment. So reaction yeah. time is super paramount. So this type of communication, of course, on site at the office, you know, this is the fastest possible thing you can you can do. And this is the predominant reason why we went back to the office a few years back. And um, the third reason is due to this kind of excessive amount of communication required to just get a job done, uh, we recognized something very important that we haven't talked about previously, um, especially during March and April. Uh, the productivity drop was in half literally in house wow. we actually measure that we literally had on average you know 18 or so billable hours per person per uh, per week wow and uh, again on one hand having kids running around and lack of decent office space and all the fear with pandemics and you know conversations with how are you feeling are you sick is anyone sick blah 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 of course this contributed but uh the other factor which we recognized afterwards especially management because we run kind of different tools like Rescue Time and Time Doctor and stuff doing more in-depth analysis, is we were spending 60% of our time on Slack. Wow. And yeah, and at some point, you know, because notifications, I mean, Slack is a pretty shitty platform when it comes to communication <laughs> in terms of it's yep. very loud, you either miss everything or you're just hooked to the matrix, right? It's, it's, it's binary, it's one of those yep. things. So we recognize that, you know, in order for people to be available and be able to hop on for problems and stuff, they need to be on Slack. And whenever they're on Slack, they aren't doing actual work, right? On the other hand, we do have people actually delivering results, but whenever you ping them, you have to call them like 17 times in order for them to actually recognize you reached out to them or so. And, and that's what it ended up to. So this turned out to be the biggest bottleneck for us. We actually tried different things. We tried Discord, uh, which was a smart... Thing to test out, you know, just running in a room with like almost everyone connected remotely and you just chat all the time. However, again, not everyone can do it because kids and because some other breaks and, you know, delivery guys and whatnot. So, again, this didn't quite work out. And we tried different things, but at the end, especially especially for 
more senior positions again you know juniors they can you know they do have tasks and a lot of time to complete them and yada yada and they can pick someone but if you're in a supervisor position right the team lead the major or anything like that you get pinged all the time you have to approve requests you have to check in for status you yeah. have to like we even you know have code reviews before deployments and approve the pull requests and you know jump on emergencies or escalations or whatever it is and you have you simply have to be on a chat mode all the time and this was the biggest bottleneck that we actually uh, suffered from and this was something that honestly we are still trying to look uh, look for a better alternative uh, for you know future cases whenever needed yep oh i totally agree uh, back when i was um, doing management day to day i used to be at the director and even at the vpnc level um, one of the things that i told um, people below me was once you get five people working for you, you're no longer going to do day-to-day -day coding. Um, yeah. You might slice off a piece of a project that's not on the critical path, and you get to do that just to keep your hands in it. But once you have five people, your time is going to be spent um, as a message broker, if you know, if nothing else, because you're not going to be able to say, I'm going to take four hours and yeah. go concentrate on this piece of code. You're going to have meetings. And I, I get you with Slack because um, I'm... I'm working uh, as a contractor for a company. And while I'm not actually on duty right now, I am on call. And so it's my job to monitor the 911 channel on Slack, but I don't want the rest of the chatter that they're doing. So, you know, I, I had to dig into Slack to figure out, they, Slack does not make it easy to tune these things just the way you want it. But I finally got it to where if anything happens in the 911, I find out, but I can ignore everybody else. But now, Next week, I've got to go back and reset all of that, you know, and Slack just does not make all of that easy. And I don't think Salesforce buying them is going to make it any better, you know, yeah. seeing the Salesforce AP or, uh, interface, I, I, I have no hope that they're going to make things better. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and then, you know, this is, this problem goes back a long time. I mean, I hired my first remote developer in 1999 and um, we had, team meetings via um, conference call, and we had our own internal IRC um, server. And you know, each team had their own channel in the server, and we had the general channel, like, like we do with Slack, but yeah. we actually were running our own server. We weren't part of a network. We still had the exact same problems. You know, Either I'm available and I'm spending all my time reading the messages and answering the messages, or I'm coding in which I, I, I might ignore messages for an hour or two. And, yeah. and there, there's no good answer because sometimes developers just need to shut down and code. So nature yeah. of the beast, I guess. Yeah. At some point, uh, I mean, at some point with some people, we actually had to resort to phone calls. You know, we just say, you know, turn your, you know, turn off your data, turn off Wi-Fi on your phone, just leave it next to your monitor. And, you know, if we need something, we're just going to give you a call. Right. I mean, it gives you the sanity that you haven't missed out on anything. Your mm -hmm. phone isn't going to buzz all the time, and you're going to receive a call if needed. But again, I mean, it gets tricky because, you know, not everyone can actually hold a call, especially if, if they have a, a kid sleeping at the moment or something like that, right? And also, what if they receive 40 phone calls today, right? And it gets, but still, this is literally our intermediate alternative for the time being um, with some people just to make sure they are productive but also reachable uh, whenever needed. Similarly, well, I love the fact that you're. Channel. You're experimenting, though. You're, you're, you're trying to find a solution um, because 
I'm pointing to my Apple Watch. This is the worst thing ever invented for developers um, because not only do I have to put my phone away and turn it on vibrate and put it in another room if I don't want to be disturbed, I got to take my watch off because everything still comes to the watch, you know? And it just, there's so many ways to interrupt people. And for the most part, that's good. But on the other hand, for developers, like you said, it kills productivity because we're spending so much time. And as managers, yeah, I, I always tell um, my managers, if you've got a remote person, it's your job to reach out to them. And if you haven't heard from them today, reach out to them. Hey, how are you doing? You know, make sure everything is okay. What I used to call an emotional ping, you know, just ping them, make sure that they're doing okay. And these days with, you know, people being forced to work from home that aren't used to it, that that's more important, but that's going to kill your productivity. If you've got five, 10 people there, there's your day right there. So, you know, just yeah. making sure your team is up, awake, caffeinated, happy, and working. So mm. for those that drink caffeine, you know, it's not required, but I've not been able to code without caffeine for many a year. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely with you here. Hey, Mario, I want to thank you for your time. I look forward to um, sitting down next time, talk to you audience. Thank you for being a part of this 2020 wrap up and 2021 prognostication episode. Hey, do us a favor. If you like what you saw, find us on your favorite podcasting network and give us five stars or five thumbs up, whatever. If you think there's a way we can do things better, drop me an email, cal at calevans.com. I would love to hear from you. Mario and I take all the emails that we get and look at them. And we hope to see you at the next week right here on No BS Engineering. See you soon, everyone, and happy 2021.